Well, have any of you ever really just waited with great anticipation for the arrival of something that you're just really excited about? Have you ever had that thing that uh, you're just waiting for in in the mail or or whatever? I was just that it was maybe three or four Christmases ago when. Uh, I had a little bit of leftover birthday money from a, a wonderful birthday gift from my cousin. And usually when birthday money comes, we uh, kind of just absorb it into the family budget and don't really buy the presents we're supposed to. But I saved a little bit aside uh, to buy this uh, this briefcase, actually, this briefcase uh, right here. I love buying things that are of, of really good quality. And I, so I just looked up. I needed a new briefcase. And I said, I'm tired of briefcases breaking and I said I want one with a good warranty and looked up the best warranty there is and this briefcase has a hundred year warranty on it assuming the, com- the uh, company could be around at that point and the, the slogan for the company is they'll fight over it when you're dead. And I, just, I, just, I just like that. I just imagine my, my boys just dad's died. I'm so sad. I really want to brief- No you can't it's just sort of what I imagine. They're not actually going to care about it at all. They're going to think it's a really old, crummy briefcase. But, um, you know, there's, so there's, there's, anyway, there's just great excitement about this. I, I've, I've always wanted, you know, something like this. And, and I remember, uh, have you ever done that? You order something and you're just waiting for the UPS thing to happen? Like, I, I mean, I've got the tracking app on my phone and I've got the tracking app, you know, open on the computer, and it's just sort of obsessively, is it, is it just me? Am I the only one who's ever done this? Just obsessively, it's still in Texas. It's still in Texas. It's still in Texas. It went to California. What? What did it go to California for? What's it doing in California? It has to ship over there to get here? Like, that's the wrong direction. And you're just freaking out, like, what's going on? You imagine things like this. You imagine that it's, like, been destroyed in, in, a, in a fiery crash or something like that. And you're like, because ah, you're just so excited and you're tracking it, like, and you know it's just ridiculous. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous to be wasting all your time and energy uh, doing this. But you have this huge sense of anticipation and, and you, you want it to happen. Well, obviously, uh, to the nth, that's a picture of what it was like for the people uh, of Israel waiting, of course, for Messiah to come, right? And that's what we're, we're celebrating uh, this Christmas is, is the coming of, of Messiah. And... It, I mean, this here, what, this this graphic, is just like I, I couldn't even fit it all into the same thing. There's no way you can possibly read it. I mean, you can play with the text, but really imagine about a foot and a half above, and a foot and a half below, and a foot and a half on either side. These are just the promises and the prophecies about the coming of Jesus uh, to Israel in the time and space in which he came. There's this. Uh, incredible anticipation in the Old Testament of uh, Messiah coming and him saving his people and him delivering his people and bringing goodness and life and, and light uh, to the world. And, and the way you knew it was going to happen and the way you were able to figure out who it was was by looking at these prophecies and matching them up with the people. And so it's basically your UPS Messiah tracking app. Uh, it's it's in the Bible. Like, how do you find this guy? How do you know which is the one? How do you? Everybody's excited, and it's 400 years uh, since the diaspora of people like wrestling with and struggling with uh, battles and kingdoms and false messiahs and Rome and Greece and empires coming over and taking over the uh, 
the, the city of Jerusalem, just a, an incredible sort of miserable 400 years of the silence of the prophets, although we see lots of evidence of God moving in the people. And it's just a sense of anxiety, the sense of waiting, the sense of we really, really need Messiah to come. Well, what is Messiah? What is Messiah? What were people excited about? What were people waiting for? Uh, the word Messiah uh, in the Hebrew just means anointed. Which, I mean, just raise your hand if you've ever anointed anything. It's not really language that makes a lot of sense for us. I anointed a cat once. I did. I did. Somebody wanted me to anoint a cat, and so I did it. I anointed, I blessed their cat. It was a weak moment as a pastor, real low point uh, for me. But I did. I, I anointed a cat once. I was once asked to resurrect a cat from the dead. I, I was. I was asked to lay hands on a cat, and, and I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't do that one. That was a high moment for me as a pastor. Uh, or maybe low. I don't know. But I didn't try to resurrect the cat. I just thought, if, if we have at these meetings word gets out that we've resurrected people's dead pets, it's going to be more of a zoo around here than it already is, and we just can't have that. Like, it's going to be crazy time. Like we, we, you know, it was already a crazy church to begin with, right? And if all of a sudden people are bringing their dead livestock, uh, it's just, it's just not, it's not going to be a good time, right? So, but, but what anointing means is to, is to sep- separate something, to, to, to put something apart. And in particular, in this case, it means, uh, set apart for leadership. Who, d- who did you anoint in that time and space? Well, you'd anoint, you know, people who are sick and, and all kinds of things, but what this is talking about, it's talking about a royal anointing. It's talking about an anointing of a king, an anointing of a leader. And so what Messiah really means is, is leader and, and deliverer. And that's what, uh, of course, Jesus is to us. And, and I'm going to just sort of dig in uh, I intentionally kept this sermon relatively brief because I knew we had a lot going on this morning. But I want to just dig into this famous uh, passage from Scripture, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, 1 to 7. It's one of the more common uh, readings that you would see through the Advent season. I actually thought it was hysterical. We gave Jeremy and Jenny uh, that reading from, uh, from the book of John. Or was it Matthew? Matthew 3 that we gave you? I just thought that was hilarious. It's like, he will burn up the chaff with his unquenchable fire. I'm like, what happened to sweet, nice baby Jesus? Uh, you know? So, but, but, you know, the Anglicans, that's right in the lectionary, and that's what they're all reading today. So I thought we would just read what they're reading. And so we just follow along and can't really take parts of the scripture out just because they don't fit. I mean, I wanted to edit that out and put in something nice, but, uh, but we, we just read what was in the, in the scriptures and what everybody else uh, around the planet is reading today. So uh, that was really cool. Uh, But this uh, passage, Isaiah 9, really speaks to what Messiah is and who he is and and what he brings. And I think that's where it gets relevant, of course, to our lives. So let's just take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to to meet us. Lord, as we read the scriptures, we um, want something wonderful and mystical to happen. It says your word is powerful word is creative. Your word produces change in us. Uh, your word is like a seed that grows inside of us. It's like a sword that pierces through all of our deception, all of our self-deception, all of our lies. Uh, and I just ask that uh, your word would be like this to us. It would be nourishment. It would bring clarity to us and truth to us. And that as we read it, just the reading of it, 
all commentary aside, that it would transform us. We're so thankful for your word, Jesus. We're so thankful for these words as they were recorded uh, through history, this book that has been cherished, this story uh, that's been told so many times. We're so thankful, Jesus. We love you. As we read it, just, just do what you want with us, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Let's read in pink. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across the shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So here we are. Nevertheless, there will be no gloom for those who were in distress. Isaiah noted that in the past, God had uh, humbled Israel uh, when he allowed uh, the Assyrian king, and, and this is really referring to a specific uh, space and moment in history, uh, an Assyrian king named Tiga-Pieser, or Pleaser III, uh, conquered the northern kingdom, conquered the northern part of the land of Israel, conquered all of that area around the Sea of Galilee uh, in seven, 732 BC. And we see this story in 2 Kings 15 and 2 Kings 17. If you wanted, to, I mean, just, just thinking about the scriptures, these stories are just not made up stories. These are stories that are full of history and full of uh, connection with the rest of the world. These aren't just, it's not just a fairy tale that we're reading here. Uh, so there are these this king who, who basically came into the land of Israel and conquered all of this land around the Sea of Galilee. And what he did at that time was he took uh, those two tribes of Israel, uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, and he took all of the people who were gathered in those places and tied them up and dragged them off to other parts of the kingdom. 
He dragged them out of the land, dragged them out of the place of their sustenance, dragged them out of their homes and, and moved them off uh, well out uh, to the east of, of Israel. And what he did was took other places where he'd conquered people and, and conquered uh, nations, and he took the people from those places and brought them and settled them all around the Sea of Galilee. And that's what kings did in that time when they conquered an area. It'd be like saying, okay, are you who are here in Carlton Place? We have conquered you. We're going to make you live in the east end of Ottawa. And all of you people from the east end of Ottawa that we've conquered, we're going to move you over to Carleton Place. And we're going to take some people from Smith's Falls, and we're going to move them to Almont. And we're going to move the people from, I mean, you guys would freak out. Imagine if Smith's Falls moved in. Like, I mean, that would be bad news. Bad news. Like, people would be in full panic around here if that happened, right? Uh, so that's what they did. They, they, they disconnected people from their land and from their place and, and settled them uh, somewhere else. And in this little passage in the... Uh, in chapter 17 of 2 Kings, uh, in verse 24, it reads, it reads this. And now I'm having to take my glasses off to do this, isn't it? This has just happened in the last little while. This isn't, this isn't good. It's not good at all. So it says this in verse 24. The king of Assyria brought the people from Babylon, Kuthva, Ava, Hamath, and Severim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. And when they first lived there, and this is just a side note, I just a rabbit trail I had to chase. I wasn't going to keep reading here, but I just love these crazy stories that show up in the Old Testament. Uh, when they'd settled there, uh, they didn't know, know to worship the Lord. So the Lord sent lions among them, and the lions ate the people. Just a just happy story from the Old Testament. God sent lions to eat the people. Okay, great. Thanks, Jesus. Uh, it was reported that the king of Assyria... It was reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. So he sent lions among them, which are killing them, because the people don't know what he requires. Then the king of Assyria gave this order. Have one of the priests you took from Samaria go back and live there and teach the people what God wants. So the lions will stop eating them. <laughs> Okay, so just a little happy little Bible story, just a, a little side note for us. But think of the, uh, the, the sense of brokenness and the sense of shame and the sense of, of disconnection in the people. Now, this is just a, this is just a crazy, uh, crazy Bible story. Um, but how does, how does that make sense of, of our lives? Aren't there ways in which we have been pulled and disconnected? from the purpose and the provision that God has for us. In some cases, it's enemies that have done this to us. In some cases, it's our own wandering desires. In some cases, it's our, our fear. In some cases, like in the case of this, it was a sense of, of judgment of God on the people, a sense that they had not followed God, uh, that they weren't walking with him. There's a sense of, that, that this is just because of sin. And doesn't sin do that for us? Doesn't sin deport us from the purpose that God has for us? And doesn't sin allow enemies to live in that place of our blessing that's supposed to be our blessing? The, the very first thing, the very heart of the Messiah, the very heart of Jesus is to return you to the place of your provision and the place of the purpose of God for you in your life. And, and, and this word Messiah speaks to, to leadership. It speaks to salvation. It speaks to God actually by an act of his will and an act of his strength 
uh, restoring you to that place of goodness in your life. That's what he's about. He's about that goodness of restoring you. And so what we see in, in terms of fulfillment of prophecy in the life of Jesus in this is that Jesus came and ministered in those places. What did Jesus do in those places? He healed the sick. He cast out demons. Can you, I mean, we don't know how this stuff works, right? But, but imagine the demons, uh, the spiritual powers that lived in that space tormenting people for generation after generation after generation after generation from the hurt and the wounding that occurred in the lives of people from that time centuries ago. And Jesus comes into that space and begins to set people free. Jesus wants to do that with you. He wants to set you free from the stuff that has held you in, in bondage for such a long time. And he goes on to say this. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. How many of us live in darkness? How many of us live in depression? How many of us live in fear? How many of us live in an expectation of evil uh, happening to us? There's an incredible study done in, uh, in 2013 uh, <clears throat> by a guy named Mark Trussler and a, and a guy named Stuart Soroka. And they set up an experiment at McGill University and they wanted to see what people would, would watch in media. What are they interested in? What did they click on? What's, what's exciting to them in terms of news? they were going to watch. But they knew that every study that had been done about this uh, was, was kind of biased. So they would put people in a room and they would just sort of look at, at the news. But the news that's put out in front of them is sort of chosen by the people who do the study. And so it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a fair and honest study. They said, we've got to find some way to make this a true indication of, of what people will go to, what people will watch. And they wanted to know. And so what they did was they did what all good statisticians and scientists do is they lied to their subjects. And what they did was they, they told their subjects, this is a study on eye movement. And they set up a bunch of cameras around the screen and, and they said, we're just going to track, you can watch whatever you want on the screen, but we're just going to track how your eyes track with the words on the page and we're going to just let the cameras do that. We're going to collect all that data, come in and surf the internet for a while. That's what, that's what, they, that's what they told them. But what they did behind the scenes is they were collecting the data of what everybody was actually watching. And, and just as, as expected, it was evident that, that people would track on the word disaster. We want to we find out about the disaster. We want to find out about the bomb. We want to find out about the, the killing. We want to find out about the murder. We want to find out about the crime. And we're not going to watch the, the video of the fluffy bunny, uh, whatever, you know, the <laughs> half of what the news is, right? The, the happy, happy, fluffy bunny stories were watched like 21% of the time and I guess something 79% of the time it was always on the news. Now, why is that? Uh, we, we have a, a predisposition in us to spot and find the negative. We have a, a genetic hardwiring to try to find out what the danger is so that we can avoid it. We have a, a danger awareness, a, 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 an enemy awareness. And what this uh, passage says, what, what it, our expectation of being people who have a Messiah is, is that the people who are walking in that kind of darkness begin to see a great light. 
begin to see a light, begin to see hope, begin to see life on those living in the land of deep darkness. And that word darkness there, uh, sort of implicit in it, in, in terms of the, the language, actually implies that, that term danger. People living in a land of danger, on them a light has dawned. On them a light has dawned. And it goes on to say this, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. Edit out that next line because we don't really want to talk about plundering so much anymore. Uh, but re rejoice at the harvest. Now, how many of you have ever experienced uh, a harvest? Like, like are, are we rural people here? How many of you have actually been on a farm with a farmer at the time of harvest. Isn't it exciting? I used to drive the truck for my, for my uncle when, when it was time to, to harvest. It's all hands on deck and I used to go out there and I, I mean, I just, can't, I, just, I just can't tell you what an incredible joy that was to, to sort of park beside that combine and have that thing just pour uh, bushels and bushels and bushels and bushels of wheat into the back of this truck. I mean, my cousin and I, it was a two-man job driving this truck because we would do it when we were really little. And I would operate the gas and the clutch and he would operate the gear shift. <laughs> and, and, and that's how we would drive the truck uh, back to the thing. I mean, it's amazing we didn't cut our arms off with the auger and, and all the stuff that we did out there, right? But, but just the joy, we worked all day. We worked all day, all night. We didn't notice we were tired. Now, I, if I ask my son, to help me move a little bit of grass or something like that in the backyard. And, and I was like this too as sometimes as a teen. Like it's like, oh, dad, I can't. I, I need to get some rest. Like what are you talking about? Like give me a break. Where's Jack? Is he in that room? I should just check these things out. Um, but... Uh, but aren't you, weren't you like that as a teen? Did any of you complain at all when your parents asked you to do stuff? Yeah, just a little bit. You know, I complained a little when I was a, as a teen. But, but when it was time for harvest, there wasn't any complaint in me at all. There was joy in it. There was excitement in it. There was hope in it. There was fun in it. And I think we got some grape soda at the end. So, I mean, it was a win. Uh, but... But, but imagine this, he, he enlarges the nation, he increases the joy. Do you have an expectation that knowing Jesus will result in an increase of joy and goodness in your life? I mean, we're so good. I mean, I am, I am the king of the disclaimers as pastor. God is really going to bless you and he'll really help you endure if things are bad. Make sure we're going to know for sure, for sure, for sure. God is going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. We're going to pray for healing. But in case he doesn't, uh, he's going to meet you in your suffering. Right? I'm going to really make sure we've got all our bases covered. Right? But, but that's not quite what Messiah is all about. Like, like, I mean, absolutely, he does meet us in suffering. And some of the uh, joy that he brings is joy that happens on the far side. Joy that happens in eternity. But think about the early church. Imagine those moments of harvest, those moments of increase, those moments of joy. When, when they met Messiah, they knew this person their culture had been waiting for for 400 years uh, had come to be with them, to dwell with them, had showed them how to live. They're walking it out, living it out, and people are coming by the thousands. 
by the thousands to follow and belong. I mean, they were getting stoned and beaten and persecuted, but they were having the time of their lives. There's joy for us. There's increase for us. There's harvest for us. And, and what an honor it is. What an honor it is to participate in that uh, with, with Jesus, to rejoice at harvest. It says this, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. How many of us struggle with addictions? Like just stuff. Like, I mean, last night at this incredible uh, Christmas party, that whole table of food, I shot a video of it. I just walked down the table. It was, uh, it was I guess it was three eight-feet tables, so it was 24 feet of food just stacked to the gills. Like that whole table, that's like, if I'm on cracks, that's a table of crack. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm an alcoholic, for me, that's a table just full of beer, right? That's, I'm a, I love food. Like, that's, for me, my addiction, right? That's my struggle. That's my battle. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like, it's a huge, it's a huge battle, right, for me. And, and you guys all have your addictions, too. We have our struggles. We have our things that we're uh, invariably drawn to that we know are bad for us. Well, our expectation with the coming of the Messiah is those things that are a yoke on us, those things that are bondage on us, actually can be broken. There is hope for deliverance, and, and we've seen this in our lives. I remember Anna and I uh, praying for, for a, a drug dealer who came to know the Lord as part of our youth group in Toronto. He was a young guy. He was on the streets downtown Toronto. He was a fairly high-level drug dealer. We really liked that phase when he was still dealing drugs and tithing. That was really good because that was, that was wonderful, wonderful income for the church. That was super. Um, <laughs> honestly, I'm totally kidding. Mostly. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we prayed for him, and, and he, he was set free. Not only from the addiction to the money and the addiction to the drugs, but just from an, a personality that just was absolutely unable to control uh, his ability to go after every single thing he desired. He became a person who had, for the first time in his life, this gift of the Spirit called self-control. For the first time in his life, he had this ability to make a decision and to follow it through based on what was right, not just on what he wanted. That's what Messiah brings. That's what Messiah brings. He saves us uh, from those things that, that oppress us. And talk about this Midian's defeat, uh, this story in the book of, uh, of Judges. Talk about your ultimate underdog story. Joshua goes to fight this army that's, that's, that's raised against him. Uh, he, he sends half of, well, um, the majority of his army into retirement, goes into it with 300 dudes and some lamps. 300 dudes and some lamps and, and some jars and goes to fight this battle and wins. When Messiah comes, Messiah fights for you. He fights for us. He delivers us. He, he comes in his power and in his glory and he sets us free by the power of his spirit. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What, what he's saying here is... Um, 
what makes all this possible is that a son was given to you. And that's the first time, just reading that this morning, it was the first time that I ever saw the birth of Jesus as a child born to us as parents. Do we understand that? Think of the expectation and the waiting of parents, of a nation, of people. Think of that, that those people that you know and, and yourselves in your own stories, how much you wanted a child. Imagine how much Anna and I wanted to have little baby Jack. It, he, was, he was 10 years in coming from the time we were married. We wanted him so bad. We prayed for him. We, we talked to doctors. We did so many things. It was such an incredibly challenging time for us, those first 10 years of our marriage, waiting for little baby Jack to come. But this little child was born to us. A gift to us. And this is the prophet Isaiah saying, this, this person who is going to be born to you, this person, Jesus, is going to be like that. It's going to be a child that's born to you, born into your family, born into your life, born to transform you, to change your family, to change your makeup. And then he's going to grow up, and the government will be on his shoulders. And that word government means authority. So this person who's a gift to you, who's a little child to you, who in some ways you own, he's the son of God and the son of man, the son of God and the son of humanity, you have some ownership in this incredible relationship with him, then the authority comes on him. And when the authority comes on him, when the leadership comes on him, when you let him go from being a gift to you to somebody who leads you, and that's a radical transformation in all of our lives. So, so many of us know him as a gift, know him as uh, somebody who loves us and somebody who cares us, and we don't know him as somebody who speaks to us and leads us. But when that authority comes on him as a God who leads us, joy comes. It says this, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. I don't see that phrase being used for Donald Trump. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I don't see those phrases uh, appropriate to any earthly leader, to any leader in our nation, any leader in our province, any leader in our, you know, Mayor Louis, God bless him, in Carlton Place, right? When the authority is on his shoulders, Everything good begins to happen. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the greatness of his authority and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne. And that's, a, that's just a, an important nod to the Jewish people in this story. An important nod to the Jewish people. There's something about that place. There's something about that community that's important to us across the ocean and across the years and establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness, with a love, with a care for the poor, with righteousness. And there's no other way to see this word righteousness as, without seeing or thinking about moral purity. He rules over us with uh, that, that sense of his care, his right view of the weak, 
this right view of the poor, this right view of the needy, this right view of the disenfranchised and the marginalized. And, and he comes and he upholds it uh, with his righteousness, with uh, the purity of how he lived and the purity he calls us to as people. Uh, the, the purity he calls us to is not something we can just slide aside uh, and, and forget is there. Although he empowers it, doesn't he? That's the freedom that comes. We note that it's forever and ever. And we end with this phrase, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word zeal means jealousy. There's, a, there's a, a, a bad way in which God is viewed as a, as a jealous God. And people uh, who are looking at the Old Testament uh, from a critical perspective will say, who is this angry, jealous, cranky God that you guys are all serving? That kind of sort of jealousy doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you are a person who is passionately loved by another to the exclusion of all other. That kind of jealousy makes a lot of sense. Why will God set you free? Why will God deliver you? Why will God work miracles in your life? Because he is passionately focusing his love on you. He's passionately focusing his love on you. He's jealous for you. He's not doing this uh, because he really wants to organize the world in a certain way and people keep messing with his Lego and moving pieces and he really doesn't like you moving his Lego. He, he wants it, his little you know, Millennium Falcon to be just like it came on out of the package. I designed it that way. I made it that way. That piece goes there. Don't mess with it. That's not uh, who God is. But he loves you. He loves you. He is passionate you and seeing that love and receiving that love and accepting that love that is the chief work of us as his people that's the love that transforms us that's the love uh, that makes us new your Messiah is a passionate lover he wants you let's just stand up Lord, would you just come and deliver us? Would you come and set us free from all of our addictions? Would you come and set us free from our fears? Would you come uh, because of your love and cause multiplication in our lives? cause growth in our lives? Would you come in your zeal for us and win our hearts? Would you shine a light in the darkness of our depression? Would you cause us to see hopeful outcomes where 
We've only imagined the negative. Would you give us a gift to just risk hoping? To risk praying again for things we've given up praying about? Would you come and be our deliverer this Christmas? Would you come and save us? Save us from debt. Save us from addiction. Save us from sickness. Would you just lead us out of those things and make us new? We need you, Jesus. Come and show your love for each one here.